Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our Big Church Sermon Series. This series looks at the movement that began 2,000 years ago that would circle the globe and leave its mark on individuals and cultures of every continent. It brings to life the story of the local church. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We'd love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select contact us, and send us an email. Good morning again, everybody. It's good to see you here. We're going to release the kids ages uh, four through grade eight to go to their classes in the children's ministry wing. So all this month, we've been talking about the fact that uh, this thing we call the church is a big deal. And God created the church. It was birthed on the day of Pentecost. And we have to remember that the church is a movement of God's people following after God. It's not a building. It's not uh, just set in one geographical location. It is the movement of God in his people by his spirit. And over this series, we've looked at Jesus' big idea that he's the only way to heaven. We've looked at the fact that the early church, the early church paid, prayed big, bold prayers. They expected God and to answer big prayers and they prayed them and persisted them and God answered them and did amazing things. And we also looked at the fact that the early church did whatever it takes to get the message of Jesus out, regardless of what it cost them. They did whatever it takes. And so today, as we bring this series to a close, we're going to look at the fact that, that God wants to work in us no matter what. Now, through, through all the series, when you read through the, the book of Acts, one of the things that you'll see is that as God continued to move, more and more men and women were added to the number of the followers of Jesus every day by the move of God and what he was doing in the church. Now today what we're going to look at is a little messy. And the reality is this, is where there are people, there's going to be messiness. I think we can all agree with that. You know, uh, we, you know, we're messy in relationships. We're, we're messy when we try to communicate. Uh, I'm not saying that we're, we just goof it up all the time, but, but sometimes we do. And, and so, uh, you know, while the church is the body of Christ, it's made up of people following Jesus. And where there are people, there are going to be messes because we're not going to do it perfectly. And, and scripture tells us this. Scripture tells us, both the Old Testament and the New Testament tells us that, uh, that we are sinners, that we make mistakes, that we disobey God, and that we have to deal with that sinfulness. And the root of all of our sinfulness, quite honestly, can be traced back, really all the way back to the beginning of time, to, to the creation when God created the first people, Adam and Eve, in the garden, and he placed them in the garden and said, listen, you can, you can use the whole garden, you can eat from any tree, but don't eat from this tree, the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan saw that conversation, and so he used that to tempt the first people. He said, you know, why does God not want you to eat from that tree? He says, if you eat from that tree, you'll be like God. Wow, that's pretty tempting, isn't it? I mean, I, I, don't we all want to be in control and in charge of our lives? So, so Adam and Eve, you know, they... they they were self-centered like we are and they 
ate from the tree. And obviously that's what ended their stay in the garden and which when sin entered the world and sin affects us all now and the reality is we all can get into messes because we all have this innate kind of thought, you know, what's in it for me? I'm gonna look out for number one. I wanna make sure that I am taking care of myself. And so we do that. That self-centeredness, that, that is the root of our sin. And as I said, the early Christians were human and they struggled with their own sinfulness and sometimes it created problems. In fact, uh, the first big controversy we see in the church is the result of this sinfulness. So we're going to turn into the, the book of Acts, chapter 15. So if you're there, I'm going to walk through select verses, and I'll give you some commentary along the way. But even before we, we pick up at, at verse 1, let me just give you a little bit of background. Christianity, as I think we all know, was born out of Judaism. Uh, the first Christians were Jewish that meant they were raised to follow the Jewish law and the Jewish customs. That meant that, that every Jewish boy was circumcised on the eighth day of his life because that was the sign of the covenant and this was God's covenant people and this is what was commanded in the law and in the tradition of Judaism. And so when Jesus came, he came as a Jewish man, but obviously we know he was the son of God and he said, I did not come to do away or replace the law, but to fulfill it, to complete it. And then as he was bringing his ministry to a close on earth, just before he uh, ascended into heaven, he, he said to his disciples, he said, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea, but also in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he was saying to his followers, listen, this, this thing that I have created, this thing called the church is, is not just for you. It's not just for Judea. It's not just for Jerusalem. It's for all people everywhere. And I want you to be my witnesses and take that message to them. Now, uh, as the church was born on the day of Pentecost. It, it grew, but it also threatened Israel because Israel wasn't quite sure about this movement called the church and about Jesus. After all, they had stood by while he was crucified. They had wanted it to happen, and they began to persecute the early church. And one of the, the chief persecutors, you can even call him a terrorist, was the apostle Paul. But before he was known as Paul, he was known as Saul. Paul is the Greek version of his name. And he persecuted the church and he made sure that Christians were thrown in jail. And one day he was on the way to persecute more Christians and he had a supernatural encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus and uh, in a blinding light he fell on the ground and he was blinded. He couldn't see. For three days he, he stayed in a home in Damascus and he was blind until one of the disciples of Jesus came to him and healed him of his blindness. During those three days, though, I believe that God's Spirit was ministering to Paul because think this through. He had been raised as a Jewish man. He considered himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He considered him an expert and a perfectionist of the law. And all of a sudden, the people that he's been persecuting as, uh, as heretics 
he recognized now are his spiritual brothers and sisters because he's had a supernatural encounter with Jesus who he wanted to see crucified. And he realizes that Jesus is the Messiah that all of Israel has been hoping for. And so in those three days, Paul has a, a transformation of recognizing, you know, Jesus has completed what the Jewish law said it was going to be and, and now I want to help people know Jesus. I mean, that's a radical transformation for it to happen in three days, but, but God can do anything and he did that. And so Paul became this radical sold out follower of Jesus Christ and he began to plant churches all over and we pick up with him just after he's gone out on his first church planting missionary journey and he's gone to what we consider modern day Turkey and he's gone to Cyprus and he's started churches and he's won people to Christ and he's faced opposition along the way but it's been, been an exciting time because many Gentiles, many non-Jewish people have responded to the message of Jesus. They've come to faith in Christ. They've received the promise of eternal life and the church has grown outside of Jerusalem and it's exciting and then chapter 15 happens let me pick up with verse 1 certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses you cannot be saved. Do you get this? They're saying you can't be saved unless you fulfill this good work of, of being circumcised. And behind this is truly keeping all of the Jewish law. But they're saying, listen, you know, if you're going to be a Christian, you've got to follow all of Judaism. If you're a man, you have to be circumcised. And this all of a sudden can be com very confusing because they've been taught that salvation comes through faith alone. And I'm guessing there was a lot of tension around this. So let me go on to verse 2. It says, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. I, I suspect sharp puts it mildly. Um, and so Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders about this question. So Paul and Barnabas had seen all of these Gentiles, all of these non-Jewish people come to faith in Jesus uh, on the promise that you were saved by faith and by faith alone not by keeping any law not by any good works not by doing anything only by faith and so this is a, a huge dispute they've been preaching listen faith comes through believing in Jesus, that he's the son of God, that he lived, that he died, that he rose again from the de dead. And if you believe in him, you receive the promise of eternal life. And that's what he's been teaching. And so uh, that's what they believe the gospel is and they want to stand behind that. And so in verse three, we see the church sent them on their way and they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria and they told how the Gentiles, with their group, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this made all the believers very glad. So when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders and they reported everything God had done through them. And then it says, some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. To be a faithful follower of Judaism, you had to keep 613 laws and all kinds of various customs. Think about that. 
you know, it's one thing to be raised in that culture, but to be told, you, wait a minute, wait, we told you that if you believe in Jesus, you'd be saved, but wait a minute, now you have to keep 613 laws. You have to eat different food than you've ever eaten before. You have to prepare it in a different way. You have to change the kind of clothes you wear. You have to change what you do at home with your family. You have to go through all these changes in order to be saved. Feels like a huge roadblock, doesn't it? Of course it is, because that's not what the gospel says. It says we're saved by faith. We pick up in verse 7. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Now, Peter was one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. After some discussion, is again putting it sort of blandly. Peter was known for very, being very boisterous and hot-headed. Paul was uh, no shrinking violet, so I suspect there was very passionate, heated discussion. And it goes on. Verse 8, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them, the Gentiles, by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. So listen to what he's saying. God knows the heart of every man and woman who believes in Jesus. And he shows that he accepts them by giving the Holy Spirit. So when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're given the Holy Spirit as a gift, as a deposit that symbolizes that you've accepted Jesus Christ and you've been given that power to be a faithful follower of Jesus. God knows the heart of every person and he can judge every person accordingly. Peter continues, God did not discriminate between us and them, meaning the Jews and the Gentiles, for God purified their hearts by faith. I think that went through. God purified their hearts despite what the Jews would consider bad, offensive Gentile habits. In other words, they didn't follow the Jewish dietary laws or all the customs. Then let's go on and let's see what Peter says. He says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we're saved just as they are. That's the gospel. We're saved by faith. You know, Peter's saying, uh, James is saying, listen, we can't keep the law. We fail. Our moms and dads failed. Our spiritual superstars like Abraham and Moses and Isaac failed. They couldn't keep it perfectly. So why are we now going to these people who weren't even raised in the Jewish culture and telling them they have to do something perfectly that we can't do perfectly? That's not the gospel. And then it goes on. Uh, James speaks here, and he concludes with uh, this. He says, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and it's read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Now, this is amazing. You know, 
this is what James is saying. Four requirements. Um, three of them, quite honestly, had to do about uh, feud, uh, food preparation. And one was about sexual immorality. But basically he's saying, listen, th- these issues... These issues that he's talking about were not about keeping laws. It was about maintaining unity in the body of Christ. So, so you need to understand from a, from a cultural context, somebody who was raised in a Jewish context and came to faith in Jesus Christ still had some of those teachings that still hung on to them. And it would have been very difficult for a Jew to go to a Gentile's home and eat food that had been offered to idols, even though the Gentile Christians knew that that didn't mean anything their brothers and sisters in Christ who were raised Jewish would, would stumble and be troubled. Or if it hadn't been prepared the right way, if, if it still um, had uh, blood in it because they believed that uh, any meat that was eaten had to have the blood drained out of it. Uh, and the whole idea of, of the sanctity of blood was very important to Jewish people. And if you, if you touched blood, you would be impure. So these were, these were issues that would create disunity not to mention that the the Jewish Christian the Jewish culture was very strict on their on their their sexual morality and some of the Gentiles had been raised in a less strict culture and they said listen we have to do these things to maintain unity in the body of Christ it's about unity it wasn't about salvation that's very important those four requirements were not about salvation it was about how do we how do we get along together? How do we get along together? Because what was at issue here was in the early months of the church, it was about to fracture. It, it, it was about to, to come apart at the seams because some people were saying, you're saved by faith, and some people were saying, you're saved by faith plus keeping these laws. And that's not the gospel. You know, the, tr- the reality is, is from the very beginning up to today, we sometimes try to add things to the gospel. We try to say, listen, if you're going to be a Christian, you're saved by faith, and you have to do this and this and this and this to be a good Christian. And here's the reality. If you come to faith in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you and it, you have, uh, have sinful issues going on in your life, the Holy Spirit's going to expose those to you. The Holy Spirit's going to reveal those things to you and you're going to feel convicted to change. And if you're in community, if you're in fellowship in the body of Christ, your brother or sister may come alongside you to help you with that issue. That's what God wanted to see. And so what we see that was happening here is that there was this great potential rift, this great potential split happening in the church because they were trying to add something to the gospel. Let me just close with the last couple of verses there. So it says, so they were sent off and they went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and they delivered this letter and the people read it and were glad for, it, for its encouraging message. So they resolved this issue of, of drifting toward adding works to salvation instead of faith. But it was a big drift big drift away from what Jesus said was the gospel and that temptation to drift to not keep the main thing has been something that the church has struggled with from from the day it was born Uh, throughout the millennia the followers of Jesus Christ have been tempted to drift to add things 
to the church, to add things to what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, I remember when there was a time growing up where if you didn't dress a certain way when you came to church, you would be looked down upon. Uh, in, in the history of the church, there have been those kinds of things. So this morning, I just want to mention a couple of ways that, that we need, where, where the early church was drifting, and we need to make sure that we don't drift into that. Here's the first one. The early church was drifting into becoming a movement for insiders instead of outsiders. The Jewish believers were more comfortable around people who lived like they did. And so it seemed natural. If you're going to be a Christian, then you've got to also keep the laws of Judaism. Um, but that's not what the gospel said. And so when we try to make people um, into what we're like, uh, you know, then instead of what the gospel says, then we're adding something to it. We're drifting away from the core of the gospel. You know, the, the truth of the matter is, is for the church to be healthy, it needs to grow and it needs to bring in people and, and people of all different flavors and all different uh, backgrounds because God wants to save all people, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. And so we need to recognize that we've got to keep our minds open to those who are part of the church and those who are seeking to be part of the church. That was the first drift. The second drift was, was toward law and away from grace. Not, not law in a the, uh, theological standpoint, but, but in a practical standpoint. Uh, they were struggling with who was in and who was out. Uh, the Jewish Christians thought in terms of categories. Jews were in, Gentiles were out, so they had policies. That first policy they tried to put together was, listen, if you're going to be a Christian to really be saved, you have to follow Judaism. You know, that's not something that the church is not struggled with. It's struggled with it for years because we've tried to say throughout the millennia, we've tried to say who's in and who's out. But the gospel is for everybody. The gospel is for everybody. You look in the history, just in North America, you know, and there was a time when churches were segregated and that was wrong and the church had to decide, listen, does this represent the body of Christ? No, it doesn't. There's not an issue that needs to have segregation in, in the church. There was a time in North America where, where biracial couples were banned from churches. There was a time when kids that were HIV positive were prohibited from going to church. There's a, a time in our culture when, when we wouldn't reach out to folks who were different in many different ways, but the gospel is for all people. And we have to remember the main thing is that Jesus died on the cross for all people. And he accepts us where we are and he draws us to him regardless of how we live our lives and then when we're filled with the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit begins to transform us we're not transformed by people putting a list of rules in front of us we're transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us that was the second drift. The third drift was a drift toward preserving, preserving rather than advancing. The Jews were trying to protect their God-given traditions and laws. A lot of them uh, had become man-made things that they were, were proud of. And you can't blame them for, for liking that. But in the process, it got away from what God was doing. It got away from 
the essential message of salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ. We have to make sure that we're keeping the main thing, the main thing, and that's Jesus. The thing about drifting away from the main thing is it can happen to all of us, individually and corporately, and we don't even notice it. We have to recognize that Jesus came with this big idea and that's our vision that we've been given eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us and rose again from the dead and defeated the power of sin and death and we have to make sure that we make that our main vision you know when the the church was born Peter summarized the words of Jesus I've read this several times over the past weeks It's, it's Acts 4 verse 12 Peter summarized what Jesus said and he said salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. He he was summarizing what Jesus said in John 14 I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's the big vision that eternal life comes through faith in Jesus Christ. So what does that mean for us in practical terms? God wants all people to be saved regardless of what they are doing or how they are living. So, so often we become worried about the behavior of a person and say, well, you have to get this cleaned up before you can be saved. And that's not what Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us that we can come to him. It's just like the old hymn, just as I am without one plea. Jesus accepts us as we are and when he fills us with his spirit he begins to transform us into men and women of God through his power not through something that we do. The reality is this is that God can transform us all and I've seen that power at work in people. I've seen the power of the whole of the indwelling spirit change people. I've seen the testimonies and heard the testimonies of people who have a, a, a night and day experience where they were living their life for themselves, doing whatever they wanted to, and they have a, a personal encounter with Jesus, a powerful one, and they change in a moment. They let go of the lifestyle that they were living that wasn't godly, not because that saved them, but because they had this life-transforming encounter with Jesus, and he filled them with their spirit. I've seen other people that over a little bit of time as they come to faith in Jesus Christ, some stuff that they were doing that wasn't godly just sort of falls away. That was my own experience. When I came to faith in Jesus Christ, there was stuff that I was doing that I shouldn't have been doing and it began to just just sort of fall away. Why? Because I knew it wasn't godly. I didn't try to not do it, but it no longer meant anything to me. And then I've seen people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ and they continue to have a battle back and forth throughout their walk with Christ with certain areas of temptation and sin. And that's okay. God works in us and through us and the Holy Spirit is there to lean on them and we support those people as they walk with him. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for the sinner and the saint. And if we consider ourselves to be a saint, then that pretty much guarantees that we're a sinner because we're all sinners, Scripture says. We, we need to own that. And Jesus has called us to him, and he's called us to take that message of, of eternal life through faith in him to all people. 
He calls us not to exclude people for any reason to hear the gospel. That it's our responsibility that we've received the gospel and we've been entrusted with that message to take to other people. We've been commissioned by Christ to take that to people. And, and some of us will take that to places that we never expected going. Some of us will do short-term or even long-term mission work. But some of us will do that right here in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, right where we live. I mean, think about that person and you think, wow, you know, that person is somebody I just don't want to share Jesus with. You're in that relationship to take that message to them. You're in that relationship to share the love of Jesus Christ, to invite them to a place where they can hear the gospel, the good news. You're not in, you're not in charge of changing their behavior or their lifestyle or whatever they're doing. You're in charge of sharing that message with Jesus. I, I, I want to share with you the, the song that we sang just before we went into our, our service today uh, was powerful. And, and I just want you to hear these words because these, this is powerful, very powerful for all of us to think about. It was that last song that we sang and it says, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God it chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. Every single one of us was the one that Jesus left the other 99 to go and bring to God. And God hasn't stopped doing that. Sometimes he does that in supernatural, dramatic ways like he did the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. But sometimes he uses people just like you and me, imperfect people, to reach out to people that we in our minds think they will never believe in Jesus. But that's not our decision. Our our. our responsibility is to love them and to reach out to them and share the message of Jesus and then let Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit transform their lives we're not God and we don't need to play God so I want you to think about those people those people who will be easy to share the message of Jesus Christ with and those people will be challenging those people who we might put in boxes and say that that I don't know if they can be a part of the body of Christ if they can that's not ours to decide Think about those people. And I'm going to pray over us right now and, and ask God to do a work in our hearts to recognize that we can't add to the gospel. The gospel is for all those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we're charged with sharing that message. So if you would bow your heads, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. Father, we thank you for your love that you came after us, that, that you left the 99 to follow us and to bring us to you. And Lord, we understand that you've entrusted us with the message of the gospel so that we will take it to other people. And we don't have to decide if they're living the right kind of life or if they're gonna receive it or not. We just have to be faithful and deliver the message of the gospel that you've entrusted to us. So uh, Lord, I pray for each one of us as we think about that hard to share with person, that person who we never would think to come in, uh, to faith in Jesus. Lord, give us a heart for that person. 
Give us compassion for that person. Just bring us across their paths so it just becomes something that we recognize is from you and allow us to be faithful to the message that you've entrusted with us so that we won't put up boundaries, so that we won't drift away from the main thing, so that we will stay on focus and follow the message and the vision that you've given us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close our service today, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we invite everybody who professes faith in Jesus Christ to to come and take the bread and take the juice. And and if you've never said you believe in Jesus Christ, today is your opportunity to do that. The scripture says if you don't believe, you shouldn't take it. You shouldn't take the bread and the cup. But we're going to give you the opportunity to to pray that prayer today. And after I I lead anybody who wants to pray that prayer, I'm going to lead us all in a prayer of confession. I'll give you some silent time to confess your sins and prepare for communion. But I'll start off with this prayer. So I'm going to invite everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. And if you want to pray this prayer, just pray it silently back to God. Father, as we come in here, we recognize that some of us may need to finally accept you as our Lord and Savior. So hear our prayers. So if you want to pray this prayer, just repeat these phrases back to him. God, I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. And I believe he rose again from the dead. And now I want to follow him. So help me do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Just keep with your eyes closed. Now, Father, we're going to take a moment to confess our sins and ask for your forgiveness. So, Father, hear our our prayers of confession. Father, we thank you that when we confess our sins, you're faithful and just, and you forgive us, and you purify us. So, Lord, as we come to this table, we pray that you would minister to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.